So we return to our series, evening series through Matthew by tonight by looking at Matthew chapter 13. So Matthew 13, we'll be looking at verses 44 through 46. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 44, beloved, before we hear God's word, if you would join your hearts together with me in prayer. Let's pray together. We praise you, Lord Jesus Christ, O man of sorrows, who humbled himself for our sakes, that we might be lifted up, that we might be glorified. We thank you, Father, for our glorious King who is coming again to bring home his ransomed people. Father, we do sing hallelujah, what a Savior. And Lord, as we hear the Savior speak to us from Scripture this evening, we do pray that you would increase uh, the fervency and the passion on our lips as we, as we cry out hallelujah to him. Father, bless us this evening as we hear the gospel proclaimed, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 44, beloved, this is the word of God. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of God. These last few uh, parables were probably spoken to Jesus' disciples in private. We see confirmation of this in verse 51. He says, have you understood all these things? And so he's speaking directly to his disciples, his closest uh, disciples. And they said to him, yes. And so Jesus, and we've, you've heard this before, but it, it does well to mention it again. Jesus, on the one hand, spoke parables to the crowds in general, the larger crowds, as a form of judgment against their unbelief. Verse 14 of this same chapter, you will hear but never understand. They hear, heard these parables, but they didn't understand them because they didn't have faith. They rejected the Messiah. And so the parables were a form of judgment on the one hand. On the other hand, he used this opportunity to further reveal the truth of the kingdom of heaven. And he did this... Uh, he used this opportunity to, in teaching through parables uh, to show his closest disciples further truth, deeper truth about the kingdom. Um, they, would, they were about to serve. They were about to, to serve and even lay down their lives for. And of course, this teaching is for anyone who has ears to hear. Jesus even says so. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And so again, 51, have you understood? And that's what Jesus was after in his disciples, that they would understand what these parables were teaching. So these parables were meant to give his disciples and us a picture or images of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now these two parables are similar. Both deal with something that has inestimable, valuable, inestimable value to the owner, something highly valuable is at play in both of these parables. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. In Jesus' day, 
burying valuable coins or money, perhaps in a box, was commonplace. This is ordinary practice. We see the pra- this practice, for example, uh, toward the end of this gospel in Matthew 25, and the parable of the talents, the man who was given the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Uh, of course, he was rebuked for that because he should have worked to multiply that money, but you can see that the practice was commonplace. It's not commonplace for us today to hide uh, things in the ground, um, but it was in Jesus' day, and so they would have understood what this what that meant at least. This action is somewhat comparable to hiding large amounts of cash under your mattress or in a storage box in your closet. The money is not tied up in the banking system, in other words. It's not tied up in stocks. The issue uh, with this, it's, it's accessible, uh, if we could put it that way. The issue with this treasure buried in the field is that whoever owns the field, the treasure is in the field, But the field belongs to someone. Whoever owns the field owns the treasure. And so that was the issue, and that is the issue in the first parable. Now, like stumbling across, this would be like stumbling across a field and purchasing the field or analyzing a, a large field and realizing that it has deep and rich oil deposits. And so if you bought that field, you immediately had access to that, those large amounts of oil, which of course would be very, very valuable in our day. If you own the field, you own the oil. And so then you would have access to a potential millions that can be made from selling that oil. The man in this parable seems to be wandering. He's, he's wandering around and he comes across a field. He isn't portrayed as in this parable as intentionally searching for something. That's... That's what the merchant is doing in the next parable. This man in this parable is, seems to be wandering. He doesn't have a kind of, any kind of focus to what he's doing. He stumbles across this field. Perhaps this man is unsure of his place in the world. That's why he's wandering. He doesn't know where he fits, where he belongs. He has come to the end of himself. He has looked for meaning in the world. He has searched for something to give him joy. He has found nothing. He continues to wander. He looks for something to truly care about. Something he can truly give his life to. And yet he has not found that yet. He has lived life and he has found it to be full of vanities. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes said. That life is full of vanities. um, When you look at it from a certain perspective. So he's lost. But as he walks through this field in this lost state, he finds a treasure, a valuable treasure in a field, a box perhaps filled to the brim with coins and gold and silver. It's just in the field. He finds it. The field is not his. It belongs to someone else. But if he was able to purchase the field, he would have this treasure. And so finally, He comes across something that inspires him, something that wakes him up from his lost state, from his dream. Finally, something that gives him joy. We are told here, in his joy, he goes and buys the field. Something that gives him meaning, something that defines who he is in this world. Finally, he's come across uh, 
something valuable. This treasure gives him something to live for. In fact, this treasure gives him something to die for. That was something that he lacked as he stumbled across this field. This treasure takes over his whole thinking and his doing. He goes and sells all that he has, and he purchases the field. You can see how the finding the treasure overtakes him. It overtakes his thinking, it gives him joy, and then it compels him to get rid of everything that he has just so that he can have this field and so that he can be the owner of this treasure. And so he does that. He purchases a field, not for the field, but for the treasure hidden in the field. It's his now. He's found his place in the world. Do you find yourself lost tonight? Do you find yourself kind of wandering, unsure of where you are supposed to be, unsure of your place in this world? The next man is different. He is not lost. He thinks he, thinks he is not lost the next, in the next parable. He has a purpose. The first man didn't seem to have a purpose. And he stumbles across one that he could give his life to. This man seems to think that he's got it figured out. He has a purpose. He's a merchant of pearls, after all. Fine pearls, uh, to be sure. He finds them and he sells them for a living. That these pearls are fine denotes probably a wealthy lifestyle for this man. They've given him a comfortable life. They are fine pearls and people will pay good amounts of money for these fine pearls. He is like a diamond jeweler today. Costly pearls are mentioned in 1 Timothy. There, Paul talks about how uh, godly women should adorn themselves. They should adorn themselves not with expensive jewelry and uh, braiding of hair, but with modesty and self-control. They are, we are told there they are not to be so concerned about adorning themselves with gold or pearls or costly attire. In other words, Christian women should not be obsessed or overly concerned about obtaining wealth. That's the message in 1 Timothy where these expensive pearls are mentioned again. They are not to be obsessed about obtaining wealth, obtaining wealth and showing it off. That's what the Gentiles do. And so Christian women are to be somewhat different. Now, of course, Christian men aren't to do this either. Christian men aren't to be obsessed with obtaining wealth and showing it off. We're told in the same uh, letter they are not to be lovers of money. And so that's the same, uh, same principle at work there. But the point here is that these pearls are expensive. And they're, they offer this man a comfortable lifestyle and a purpose in this world. This man here seems to be driven by a search for more money, more business. He sold a lot, but he needs to sell more. He's a merchant of pearls. He's looking for more business, more pearls to sell. He's searching for fine pearls. But in this search, he comes across one pearl. And this pearl is different. This particular pearl, Jesus says, is of great value. Now, he's come across lots of fine pearls. But it's evident that this one particular pearl surpasses all that he's ever seen. He has never seen anything like this one pearl. It's much, much more valuable, much, much more costly 
than any of the pearls, in fact, perhaps even all the other pearls put together. It is like a very expensive diamond worth tens of millions of dollars compared to the other diamonds that are worth maybe a few thousand. This one pearl that he finds was not his. He is a merchant after all. He buys and sells pearls. He finds them, buys them, and sells them again. In order to purchase this one pearl, though, he had to sell everything that he had made, everything that he had done and made up until this point through his selling of pearls. All his whole life's income, his whole life's money from make, sell, buying and selling these pearls to purchase this one pearl. He had to sell all of it in order to get this one costly pearl. Now what Jesus seems to indicate here is that this man's former way of life is now over. He has given up everything to take possession of and to hang on to this one pearl. He had to sell everything to buy it and he does just that. What he had known before, the purpose that he thought he had before finding this pearl is now gone. It's over. That was his former life. This one pearl has changed everything. He's not selling this one. Do you see the, the difference? He's found lots of pearls, but he goes and sells them to make money to go and buy more pearls, to sell them again. But this one pearl stops him in his tracks. He's keeping this one. He's no longer a merchant of pearls. He's keeping this one. When he had, when he at one time thought he was sure of his place in the world, I am a buyer and seller of pearls. This one pearl forces him to reconsider all that he had believed, all that he had thought about the world, about himself. It upended him. It turned his world upside down. This one greatly valuable pearl. So much so that his life is completely transformed. He sells all that he had, purchases the pearl, and now the one pearl defines his life. Holding on to this one pearl is now his meaning. It now defines him as selling other less valuable pearls that defined him before. Now this one pearl overtakes his life as the treasure overtook the life of the man in the previous parable. And so the question to us tonight is what defines our life? How do we consider ourselves on the ultimate level? I am this. I work here and therefore this is who I am. I have been called to this particular ministry in the, in the church and, and that ultimately, at base root, defines everything that I do. Now, we don't want to take this too far, certainly. Uh, we want to serve the church. We want to serve at our workplaces and work hard. And it does shape something of who we are. But the foundation of who we are is not necessarily found there. Our foundation is found in Jesus Christ. But some of us know what this is like. Some of, the, some of us know what it's like to define our lives apart from the gospel. This man has been transformed. His life is now defined by something very, very precious. 
Now, beloved, Jesus refers to us as the sons of the kingdom of heaven. Because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and serve him and worship him, we are part of the kingdom of heaven. That is who we are. Whether you are a pastor, an elder, or a deacon, or you are not. You are part of the kingdom of heaven. So the incredibly expensive pearl and the highly valuable treasure in the parables then represent just that. They represent your embrace of the gospel. And the reason I brought up serving in the church as defining your all-encompassing existence is that these offices that I just named are temporary. Pastors are no longer pastors in the age to come. Elders are no longer elders in the age to come, so also deacons. These are temporary offices. But who you are in Christ, who all of us are in Christ, is eternal. That will carry on over into the age to come. You as being sons and daughters in Jesus Christ, that does go on into the new age into heaven itself. And so, again, the pearl, the treasure, that is your embrace of the gospel. That is what you have come across. Jesus Christ in the gospel. And this is who you are now. And it should do just this, just what it did to these men in the parable. Overtake your life. Transform it. So much so that all that you knew before is past. And all that you know now is to give yourself over to this one thing, embracing the gospel. You heard about and you continue to hear about the death of Jesus Christ for you. You hear about the crucifixion of the Son of Man on your behalf. A king who wore a crown of thorns and was nailed to a tree. And you hear these things and you believe. You take it in and you order your life around those things. Other people don't. They hear those things and they reject it. That's what the unbelieving Jews did. Jesus came to his disciples. Do you understand? Yes. Other people don't. It's foolishness to them. It doesn't make sense. They order their lives around something else. But not us. We hear these things and we believe them and our lives are shaped by them. So then, the gospel and your place in the kingdom as believers of this gospel is your pearl. The gospel is your treasure. It's your pearl of great value. How do you treat it? How do you regard it? Is it something that you're willing to give your life for? Is it something that you're willing to give up former ways for? It is your pearl. It's your treasure. It's a source of joy for you. In his joy, he went and sold the field or sold all that he had to buy the field. It's a source of joy for all of us to serve the kingdom of heaven. It brings us joy, but it also means that we will suffer. And it also means that we must renounce completely the wicked ways of the world. Verse 44, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. This is what is required of each one of us. We renounce everything that the world offers in order to hang on to this beautiful, wonderful, costly pearl, this treasure 
this box filled with gold. It's now ours. But we must renounce everything that the world offers. Verse 46, on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had. He didn't keep anything. And so this is what is required of all of us, that we would renounce everything that the world has to offer for this pearl of great value, this treasure that we have in Christ. Now these parables are not teaching us, friends, to literally sell everything we have and pitch our tents in a field. This is not, this is not what the parables are teaching us, although it does teach us to sacrifice some of what God has given us Now, if we were to sell everything that we had and pitch our tents in the field, then we would have to sell those tents as well if we wanted to be consistent. So these parables are not teaching that. Please don't uh, get that lesson from these parables. We work and God blesses us. We purchase what we need. Some of us are given more. Some are given less. But what these parables do mean for us, though, is that being made part of the kingdom of heaven because of what Christ has done for us that should define our lives completely. It should overtake everything that we think and do and compel us to do things and to sacrifice ways that we wouldn't have done before. To say goodbye to our former ways of life and to fully embrace what we've been given in Jesus Christ. It should compel us to do all that God calls us to do with joy, For the sake of the kingdom, in his joy, he sold all that he had so that he could have this wonderful treasure. Now, many of the disciples who heard these words would give their very lives for the kingdom. There's not much more, or really there's not more you can give. This man sold all that he had to buy a field. These apostles, most of them died. They were martyred for the pearl of great value. They were martyred for that treasure in the field. And so, this is the calling for us, too, friends, upon each one of us, that we would give all that we have for the sake of the kingdom. This was how precious the kingdom of heaven was to the disciples. The disciples considered the gospel as a pearl, as a treasure, unlike anything else they had come across. 